Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. God had a problem. You guys can be seated if you like. It seems like a strange thing to think about. The creator, almighty, all-powerful God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, because there is no one and nothing that can oppose him. God had a problem. I mean, we have problems. We get that. Because we're imperfect. We make mistakes. We live in a broken world. Other people make mistakes. And we don't have power over all things. We don't have control over all things. We don't know all things. So we get, we don't like, but we get that we have problems. But the idea that God would have a problem seems strange. But that is, in fact, the entire point of Christmas. So let's begin with the announcement. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, peace to those with whom he is well pleased. Well, Christmas is almost here. And for all the joy and cheer, it's a busy time of year. With shopping and decorating, picture taking and cookie making, it's easy to get lost in all the things that are going on and all the things that have to get done. And it's easy to get so focused on preparing for Christmas that we miss the purpose of Christmas. The sad truth is it's really easy to miss Jesus during this season. See, one of the hallmarks of the Christian holiday is the gift exchange, right? the time-honored tradition. And every year, we'll spend hours online or in line looking for gifts for friends and family. But I'm curious to see if anybody can say, like, does anybody have someone in their family or friend that they buy presents for every year that is just impossible to shop for? Like, if you just, like, just so I'm not, like, alone by myself, is it just me? No, everybody, anybody? You know what? <laughs> so for me, it's my dad. My dad is absolutely impossible to buy for. He doesn't make a lot of lists. He doesn't talk about what he wants. And so every year, the family starts like messaging each other like, hey, do you have any ideas for dad? What was the last commercial he commented on? Maybe I can buy him something from that. What are you getting him? I'm just going to steal your idea and just build on that. And it's nothing. Every year, it's just impossible. 
And so whenever we get him a gift, it feels like such a stretch. It's like, hey, Dad, you like science? So here's a, here's a bouncy ball because, you know, gravity is science. Do you like it? Like, that's, it's just a guess, like a random <laughs> guess. See, while knowing what my dad wants as a gift is difficult, knowing what he desires, what he wants for Christmas is not. What my dad wants more than anything at Christmas, it's not something you buy at a store, it's not something you wrap in a box. His greatest desire at Christmas is just to have his whole family together under one roof. He's not looking for stuff from us. He just wants to be with us. That is the point of Christmas. It's easy to lose sight of that. And even when we remind ourselves that Christmas is all about Jesus, which we do, right? We say all kinds of fun things. My favorite is that Jesus is the reason for the season. I love it. You can't argue with it because it rhymes. Right? And I did. I actually do. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I love that the first like 167,000 times that someone said it to me. But eventually it just gets to the spot, point where I'm just like, man, if one more person tells me. Like, I don't know why they're specifically telling it to me. Like, I'm unaware of that. Like, I'm the guy that stands up here and says that once a year. I'm just like, man, if one more person tells me, Jesus is the reason for the season, I'm just going to glue green fur on myself and become the Grinch. Like, mess with me. But even when we remind ourselves that Christmas is all about Jesus, it's easy to miss the significance of what that means. That Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, left the comfort of heaven, took on flesh, was born in a manger. That God became man. I think one of the reasons it's easy to overlook that is we have a tendency to view life exclusively from our own perspective. We love Christmas because of what Christmas means to us. But what about what Christmas means to God? Do we ever stop to consider Christmas from God's perspective? This church, God had a problem. And his problem began in a garden. See, Genesis tells us in the beginning that God created man to be in community with him, to walk with him, and to talk with him. Because part of the purpose of our creation, part of the reason that we exist is because God wanted to be in relationship with us. We were made for relationship with God. And then in Genesis 3, we decided that we would rather be God than be with God. And so we disobeyed him, we rejected him, we rebelled against him, and sin was born into the world. We call this the fall. So Adam and Eve are then kicked out of the garden, and from one generation to the next, we move further and further from God. And in our sin, we separate ourselves from him. Sin that we are all guilty of. Sin that we all commit. It's Romans 3. Verse 11 says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And down in verse 23 it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. A wage is something that you are paid for work that you do. You go to your job, you do your job, you get paid. That's your wage. A wage is what you deserve. It is what you have earned. So the wage that the sin that we commit pays is death. And that sin is sin we all commit. Romans 3 says we all sin. Romans 6 says the penalty for that sin is death. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that our sin created a separation between us and God. And because of our sin, we receive eternal, or we are owed eternal punishment. And this is an area where it kind of like people, it ruffles people's feathers, and they kind of push back. They're like, wait a minute, I'm, I sin, I make a mistake in this life, and I got to pay for it for, the, for eternity? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. In fact, that's how all crime works. Someone commits a horrible crime, they get sent to jail for 30 years, we call it justice. The crime didn't take them 30 years to commit, the crime took 30 seconds. The duration of punishment for a crime almost always exceeds the, the duration of the crime itself. But more importantly, we understand the principle of this well enough. Because the offensiveness of an action is never just about the action. Right? So you get mad, okay? I said something, you didn't like it, you go home and you got a punching bag in your garage and you kick it as hard as you can to express that anger. Maybe you tape a picture of my face on it first, that's a really good, that's just good, healthy therapy, okay? It's a reasonable way to express your frustration. You go outside and you kick a palm tree. That's, that's not great, but probably the worst thing's going to happen is you're going to hurt your foot. You go home and you kick your wife or your kid. That's a big, big problem. You kick the president, you're going to jail. You kick a dog, you're a monster. You kick a cat, eh, well. <laughs> The offensiveness of an action is never just about the action. It's also about who or what the action is against. And our sin is against an infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, infinitely just, and infinitely good God. And when we sin against a being who is fundamentally eternal, the punishment for that sin is also eternal. And thus we see God's problem. God created us because he wanted to be with us. He wanted to have a relationship with us, but sin separates us permanently from him. So how does God fix this problem? Because right, he can't just ignore you. See, the problem that God has is in his own nature. He is so complex and so great that who he is strikes us as a, as a contradiction. Because on the one hand, God is perfectly, completely, 100% just, which means he cannot let sin go unpunished. He is completely good. And so the sin that we commit is offensive to the very core of his identity. On the other, he's completely loving perfectly loving, so he does not desire punishment. He's completely gracious, so he doesn't want to see the people he loves punished. So how does God rectify these contradictions that exist within himself? That's his problem, a problem that we created for him. When we sinned, when we rejected him, we were separated from him. But God, despite all we had done to him, 
did not abandon us to our sin. He didn't leave us to figure it out. From the moment of the fall, God began working. He began moving. He began preparing to make a way for us to get back to him. But let me be clear. Jesus was not God's plan B. Okay? So this is not how it worked. It did not God like creates the world. He goes, Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm going to give them one rule. Certainly they can keep that. Oh, no, they didn't. Okay, well, um, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll, give, I'll take a chosen people. I'll make this one group my chosen people, and I will set them apart by giving them the law, which is 613 rules, right? We couldn't keep one. Certainly 613. No problem. And then that doesn't work, so we're like, okay. I guess I'll try this thing with the judges. That doesn't work. All right, I'll try some kings. Still doesn't work. And so God finally is like, all right, let's, I guess let's try this Jesus thing. No. Jesus was God's plan for our redemption from the beginning. See, before the creation of the world, before God spoke the universe into being, before he set the foundations of the earth, God knew that we would reject him, that we would rebel against him. He knew every sin that we would commit. He knew every wicked, hateful thought that we would have. He knew every dark desire that hides within the depths of our hearts that we're not even willing to admit to ourselves. He knew all of it. And he chose to create us anyway. Jesus was always God's plan. Sometimes we get in our heads like, man, I got, I got to live a good life. I got to do these things and I follow these rules and I'll make myself worthy of God. Church, the law has no power to save us because the law was not created to save us. Do you know why the law exists? The law was given to show us how much we needed saving. The purpose of the law is to go, here's God's standard. Here's you. See that there's a gap? You need something to help you with that. Because church, you and I, we are not messed up people in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a savior. And the reason, church, that we need saving is because we can't save ourselves. But through all of this, it is easy to overlook God's perspective. And so often we take this very, very basic view of Scripture and go, oh, God in the Old Testament is mean and God in the New Testament is nice. I'll just stick with New Testament, God. I didn't expect to laugh on that one. <laughs> All throughout the Old Testament, what we see is God moving and working. But he's also eagerly anticipating. See, the Old Testament is filled with something called messianic prophecies. Messianic prophecies are future tellings. They're foretellings of who Jesus would be, what he would be like, and what he would do. There are over 300 of them in the Old Testament. In fact, some scholars estimate that that number is closer to 600. So all throughout the Old Testament, God's working, he's preparing, he's moving, and he just can't contain the excitement that he has. That is how excited God is about what the arrival of Jesus means. He continues to talk about it and to drop these little hints, like when you got presents for your kids at Christmas, and you're like, I'm just going to give you a little hint so you can kind of guess because I can't keep it. He's, that's how excited he is. And we see it in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or Isaiah 9. 
For, the, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to, be, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God is so excited about what the arrival of Jesus means that he just can't stop talking about it. So over and over, he says, guys, I've got a plan. I'm working on this thing. I'm putting it together. So when the time is right, you're going to see this incredible revelation of who I am, of what I'm like, because this is going to show you my nature. This is going to show you my character. This is going to show you my heart, my love, and my grace that I am pouring out on you, and I just can't wait to show it to you. It's coming. See, prophecy is fun. Prophecy is exciting. Prophecy is anticipation. Church, you know what's better than prophecy? Announcement. Prophecy is when you go on Amazon and order something. Announcement's when it shows up at your door. Announcement is the declaration that what you've been waiting for has arrived. And so finally, after all of his waiting, after all of his patient endurance, after all of his eager anticipation, the day that he's been waiting for has finally come. Where he gets to tell the world that Jesus is here. And if you look back at Luke 2, look at how it ends. It starts with one angel saying, hey, Jesus has come. What's it end? God's so excited. He goes, nope, send the whole multitude. Get them all out there. I need every, everybody is announcing it because he is so incredibly excited for what this day means. today because Christmas Christmas changes everything Christmas puts an end to the separation that exists between us and God because Christmas is the beginning of something different so we focus it's not just about the gifts but we focus on them what Christmas is about what it's really about is what we see in Isaiah 7 that he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God did not leave us to ourselves. He did not leave us to our own devices and to figure it out on our own, but God, out of his great love for us, came to be with us. Because that's what his desire has been from the beginning. From the creation of the world, God desired to be in relationship with us. He did not want this separation, but it exists. And so he's so excited to announce that that separation is coming to an end. Because God wanted to be with his children. So he sent his son. We live in a broken world, separated from our creator by sin. So God sent his son. We experience regularly, every day, all of us go through pain and struggles and suffering. So God sent his son. There is loss and heartache and loneliness. So God sent his son. There is mourning and tears and death. So God sent his son. There is rejection, disappointment, frustration, and failure. So God sent his son. 
Because church, the solution to all of our problems, the cure for all that ails us, is God with us. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life is knowing Jesus. Heaven is being with him. See, heaven is not us floating around on puffy clouds with little angel wings and white togas and gold trumpets. Like, I'm bored just describing that. That is not heaven. That is not eternity. That is a cartoon. Heaven is Emmanuel. Heaven is God with us. For God, out of his great love for us, he didn't leave us in our mess. He didn't leave us to figure it out, to fix it, because we never would. And so God came to us. Love came down. Love left heaven for you. Love became flesh for you. Love took your sin and my sin. Love died on a cross so that we could have life. Because church, we were lost in darkness. We were slaves to our sin. And so love came down to break the chains that bound us and to set us free from our captivity. Love came to set us free from all we have experienced in this life, all the brokenness and the effects of sin. See, God came to be with us so that we could be with him forever. And perhaps everyone's favorite scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so if you look at Luke 2, with the shepherd's announcement, or the, the angel's announcement to the shepherd, what he says is, don't be afraid. For what I bring you is good news. Literally, that's the gospel. That will be for all the people. That today in the town of David, the Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And so before, the, the base announcement that the angel gives is that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. We don't get one version of Jesus without the other. They cannot be separated. Jesus the Savior is Jesus the Lord. And the message of the gospel that we see that begins on Christmas, right? That God's desire to be with his people, God's desire to be with his children, the, full, the fulfillment of that desire begins on Christmas. The message is this. God left heaven. He took on flesh and he became fully God and fully man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. And he became a sacrifice for us to pay a debt that we could never pay so that through his death and resurrection, we could have something that we never deserved and we will never earn, eternal life with him. That 
is the message of the gospel. That is the good news, and that is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. It's not just because of what it means for us, but of what it means to God. It's that his desire, his dream of being able to be with his people is now coming to fruition. Because the purpose, the point of Christmas is that God came to be with us so that we could be with him. As John 1 tells us, to those who receive him, to those who believe in the power of his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or a husband's will, but children born of God. To those who surrender themselves to the lordship of Jesus, Jesus gives the right to become God's children, to be adopted into God's family. And God's desire, his hope, is that he would be with his children. When there was no hope, Jesus became hope. When there was no way, Jesus became the way. When we chose death, Jesus chose to die in our place so that through him we could have life. And so maybe, maybe that's a decision, a commitment, a declaration that you've never made. And we say we all come from different backgrounds, we come from different places, and some of us, you know, we've been in church for a long time, we've been hovering around this thing for a long time, we're kind of like Jesus adjacent. You know, we got a lot of Jesus there, but we realize in this moment that we've never really surrendered ourselves to his lordship. We've never really given ourselves under his control. We like Jesus, we want Savior Jesus, but we've never truly committed to Jesus as a Lord. Maybe tonight's the night you need to do that. Others of you are here because you have a really pestering relative or friend. It's Christmas Eve and it's just easier to shut them up by coming. But maybe an understanding the message of the gospel that the King of kings and the Lord of lords left everything and endured a cross for your sake and for mine out of his great love for you, out of his desire to be with you. Maybe that changes something in your heart. Understanding that God may be the only person who you will ever reject so much and who will pursue you so consistently anyway. Who offers a love and a forgiveness that goes beyond anything that we could ever know and will ever find in this world. So I'm going to do. So I'm going to pray. And if you have never made Jesus your Lord, if you have never given that declaration and you feel the desire to do so tonight, what we're going to do, I'm going to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes and nobody's looking at you, nobody's like watching, who's hand? I'm not going to ask you to get up or anything, just if you have realized at this point in your life you have never made Jesus your Lord, while I'm praying, if you just raise your hand up in the air, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you for all that you are for the life and the love that you give us, that you did not leave us in our sin, in our brokenness, but that, God, that you, out of your great love for us, made a way to bring us back to yourself. God, I pray 
that this time of year, this season, that you would heal broken relationships, that you would give peace and hope and joy to those who need it, that this would be a time that our hearts would be focused and our minds would be focused on you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen. So one of the things that we do on our Christmas Eve services is we do a candle lighting. So I want to share with you a little bit about the purpose and the meaning of what that is. So it's not just something that we do, but something that we understand. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was the life, and that life was the light of men. The light that shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. And that means more than it sounds. See, when Jesus was born into the world, when Jesus came to earth, that is not light invading darkness. That is light conquering it. When Jesus came to earth, death was defeated. Darkness was defeated. The pain, the loss, the hardships, and the struggles that we endure in this life are defeated. And so because of that, those who belong to Jesus, those who have life with Jesus, can rejoice regardless of what happens because we know this life is short and eternity is perfection. It's paradise. It's a life where we'll never again know pain or loss or rejection or frustration where God will come and he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more tears. Only everlasting joy with Emmanuel. But the light that Jesus gives us for those who receive it, the light that we have is a, life, a light that we are called to share. Right? We don't take the light and just kind of hoard it to ourselves like Gollum in the one ring. Right? We share it. It's meant to be put on display. As it says in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So on your way in, you should have got a candle. If you want to get that out and get that ready. We're going to do something a little bit different this year. I'm going to invite a couple of different groups to come forward. Don't worry, I'm not going to put a microphone in front of your face. I'm not going to ask you to talk. Pastor Rick and Pastor Mark are over here at the crosses. And if what I'm describing is a group that applies to you, I'm going to ask you to come forward and stand with either one of them. It doesn't matter which one you pick, uh, but we will take account to know who's the favorite. <laughs> but you can just walk up and stand next to them. You don't have to wait till I go. I'm going to pray at the end. You don't have to wait till that prayer. You can move as soon as I've described a group that applies to you. If you got baptized in 2021 made the public declaration that you wanted to give your life to Jesus, that you wanted to surrender that to Jesus, to let go of who you were and your life of self and sin and to live a life for Jesus. I want to invite you to come walk up to one of these crosses. Yep. If you rededicated your life to Jesus in 2021, been a Christian for a long time, kind of wandered away or just kind of 
got stagnant. And this year, you declared that you, you wanted to repurpose your life. You wanted to refocus. You wanted to recommit it on him, to live for him, to serve him, to glorify him. I'm going to invite you to come forward. And if you made a decision, and if this year you surrendered your life to Jesus for the first time, maybe just now when we prayed, but if you said, I'm done living in rebellion, I'm done living for myself, and I'm going to surrender myself to you, if you made that decision this year, we're going to invite you to come forward and stand up here. And what we're going to do, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. Pastor Rick and Pastor Mark are going to start lighting your candles. And what you're going to do on your way back, as you have received the light, you're going to go back to your seat. And I want you to just share the light with the people at the edge of each row as you pass by on your way to your seat. For those of you who are sitting, once they, someone passes their light to you, I want you to turn. I want you to share it with the person next, the people around you. This is not just some intimate tradition that we do. This is a demonstration of how the gospel is designed to spread. We receive Jesus, and then we turn and we start sharing him with the people around us. And so what I want you to do as you're sitting is just watch as one by one the candles begin to light showing us how the gospel is meant to spread through relationship, through connection, because those who have it share it with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you. We focus our hearts on you. God, may this Christmas we not lose sight of Jesus, of the fact that what you want most of all is to be with us, God, may that be the desire of our hearts, just to be with you. Help us, remind us, show us who you are, that we might become more like you this Christmas. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen.